I'm Greg. It's really good to see you this morning and uh, be with you in that worship service, man. What, what's the, <laughs> yeah, that was great. So what's the difference between a good workout and a good worship set? And the answer is none. You get a good workout if it's a good worship set. Um, and do you like my shirt? Yes, I, I got this down at the Martin Luther King uh, Center when I was down at, uh, on that Sankofa trip. And it means uh, erasing prejudice. Or can you see that? Yeah, there it is. You can just read it. Erasism. I think it's kind of clever. So there, there you go. And I have already met uh, a person from Montana, Mark from Montana. And, I, and this, there's two couples in the first service from Texas. And I hear there's another couple here from Texas. Where are you? There's some couple from Texas. Where are you? Yeah. Any other pod listeners here from farther away than Texas? Once in a while we get... What? Where? Florida. Whoa, welcome. From Florida. Excellent. Costa Rica. We love Costa Rica. <laughs> God bless you guys. Anyone else? Germany? Do I get uh, Russia? <laughs> I'm from Selby Street. What is it? Who's back there? France. France. I love this. This is like a cosmopolitan church. Fantastic. Ah, bonsoir. All right. Oui, oui. I can speak a little French. How's that? Oh, I'm never going to get into my sermon if we keep this up. Okay, so we're doing this series here on generosity and giving and things like that called uh, uh, Nothing to Lose. Because if you realize that you own nothing, then you've got nothing to lose, so you don't have any trouble giving it away. Um, and so the first week we talked about, uh, you know, the advertising thing and how we're being programmed to always be discontent. We, on average, see 7,000 advertisements every day. And every one of them is trying to feel, uh, gets to be discontent, so we'll buy what they're selling. Uh, and, 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 and so if we're caught up in that brainwashing... Uh, we always think we need more. We're always looking for the new and the improved and the faster and the fancier and the bigger and the better and the more comfortable, more convenient, more efficient, more whatever. And if you're caught up in that, you're just never going to find uh, you have much to give away because you always feel like you need more. Um, Paul says that there's great gain in uh, godliness with contentment. Great gain. And, and so the trick here is to get our life from Christ and learn to be content with what we've got so that whatever God increases, we're free to give away. Be content. And then uh, we talked last week about how we're not to lay up any treasure on earth because um, then it's always threatened. It comes, it goes, moth gets in there and rust corrupts it and, and, and you gain it and you lose it and it's always iffy so you're always worried and you're always straight holding on to it. No, put your treasure in heaven. Jesus says that's your, the one treasure because that's the one you can't lose. And, and we are to then live life with open palms, submitting everything to the Father, realizing that it all belongs to him. None of it belongs to us. Jesus said in Luke 14, anyone who doesn't give up all their possessions can't be my disciple. All your possessions. They, his disciples still lived in the house, and they had their fishing boats and fishing nets, and they wore clothes. So Jesus wasn't saying that we have to be homeless, unemployed, and naked. Uh, but he is saying that whatever you have, you, don't, you have it, but it's not yours. Don't grab it. Because the minute you grab it, it grabs you. You own it, then it owns you. And, and, and uh, the only way to stay free from the deceptive lure of mammon uh, is, is to, to not have any possessions. 
If you don't have any possessions, then the possessions can't get their hooks in you and, and start to control your life. And now you're free to be this kingdom person. So what I want to do this morning is look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter, chapter 8 and 9, which is all about, it's the longest discourse we have in Scripture on giving and on generosity and, and things like that. So I'm just going to pull out some verses and, and, and talk about three principles that we find in, this, uh, in, in these two chapters. And I'll bring in some other uh, Scripture as well. Uh, but it uses to wrap up this three-week series that we're on. So the first thing is this. Our giving is to be motivated by gratitude. By gratitude. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, I, I do not say this as a command. He's talking to the Corinthians here. But I'm testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Did you know that you were rich? If you believe in Jesus, you are. And then he ends this whole discourse with this, with this sentence, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift of Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation. Uh, it's indescribable. So, notice that Paul, he says, I want to test your genuineness by uh, comparing it to others. But then, the one he compares it to is Jesus. Who though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, that we may become rich. So Jesus was rich. Um, he was the son of God. He was equal with God. And you can't get any wealthier than that. He, he enjoyed the blessedness of the triune being. Triune God. So he was rich. By contrast, we were desperately poor. The Bible says that um, we were a, a race of rebels and we're estranged from God. Alienated from God. It says that we are dead in our sin, absolutely dead in our sin. We're in bondage to Satan and, and in bondage to his deception, so we could not see the truth about who God is and about God's goodness and his good intentions. Couldn't see that. And, and uh, as a result of that, we are on a road to, to destruction. Uh, we, we, we were in desperate shape, and there's nothing we could do in our own power to turn that around. In fact, left to ourselves, we wouldn't even want to turn it around. So we were poor, we were, we were, we were broke. We were in the prison of a poorhouse. But Jesus, out of his incredible, unfathomable, incomprehensible love, um, he didn't cling to his riches. He set that wealth aside, and he became poor. He made himself poor for our sake. Uh, he, he, he became a human being, and that itself is a, a, a massive step towards poverty when you're God. And then he didn't just become a human being. He became a poor human being. He wasn't born to royalty. He was born to peasants. And, and in, in scandalous conditions, which wouldn't make his life any easier, born out of wedlock as he was. And um, then he and his parents have to flee from Herod, and so they become immigrants. So he was born into poverty. But the most impoverishing thing he did, well, then later on in his life, he's, he's an itinerant preacher who's homeless. He says that the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. So he, he's a homeless, itinerant preacher who lives on the, off the good graces of other people. But the most impoverishing thing he did was when he allowed himself to be arrested and uh, mocked and beaten to the point of disfiguration, and then he was crucified. And on that cross, he bore the poverty of the world, the, 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 the sinful poverty of the world, and he did all that that we could become rich. God gave this, this indescribable gift when we were indescribably poor in order to make us indescribably rich. Praise God. So, folks, uh, we are estranged no longer because of God's great gift. 
We have been reconciled to God. If you'll accept this, if you'll receive this, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, every obstacle that could possibly separate us from God has been removed. We are rich in our fellowship with God. And we're no longer dead in our sin. At least I'm no longer dead in my sin. You may still are, but I'm not. And if you, if you surrender to Jesus, you're not. Uh, the, 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 we have been the recipients of God's rich mercy, of God's rich grace, of God's rich forgiveness. So that as far as the east is from the west, God has cast our sins from us. And while we were dead in sin, now we are alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we're no longer in bondage to Satan. Once we're, but we are no longer. Because of God's indescribable gift, uh, we have been set free. He, the, that indescribable gift has, has, has broken the stranglehold that the enemy had on us. Uh, it's broken the, the chains that he has bound us with. It has utterly annihilated everything the enemy ever had on us, which is why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, as we sang a little bit earlier. And, and no longer are we blind, stuck in the, the poverty of our blindness. Now, with this indescribable gift, we can see the truth about who God is and the truth about his character and the truth about his good plans for us. In fact, that indescribable gift is the perfect revelation of God. God is this indescribable gift. This is what God is like all the way down. He is gift. He gives himself away. That's what he does. And now we're able to see that. And Paul says that as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. We are so wealthy. We are so wealthy to have that privilege. Amen? Amen? No longer destined for destruction. We were destined for destruction, but because of God's indescribable gift, our destiny has radically changed. We've got a rich future, praise God, where we'll be dwelling, dwelling eternally with the triune God, participating in his own love, joy, and bliss. The same wealth that the Son of God has is now ours as an inheritance because we're placed in the Son. Folks, we are indescribably rich. I don't care if you don't have two pennies to rub together. If you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you, you are rich. You, you, you've got a richness, a wealth that, that money can't buy. Amen. Bill Gates... Uh, if, if he knew what was going on, he'd be envious of you. I'm, I, I just read this morning, because I was preparing for the sermon, and uh, he's worth $79.2 billion. That's a lot of money. That, that's a thousand millions, uh, 79 times. I, I hear he makes like $2 million a second or a minute or something like that. So that's a lot of money. But it don't hold a candle. It doesn't hold a candle to the treasure chest that I've got. <laughs> I've got a treasure way better than that. You can keep your 79 billion for all I care. No, no, no. I, I am reconciled to God. I've been redeemed. I've been delivered. I am rich. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So have you. We have been set free. We, 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 our eyes are open to know the true God and all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his love. And, and, and we, we can know that we are loved with a perfect, everlasting, unwavering, unfathomable love and that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And we have been made a friend of God, a child of God, a co-worker of God. And we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Amen? And on top of that, on top of that, you've got... God himself lives in you. I, God lives in me. He's right there. I'm a, I'm a walking, talking temple of God. How rich can you be? You know? well, and so I'm filled with his love and filled with his joy. I got this river of life welling up inside of me. It's overflowing. I'm a walking geyser. You can't buy that with any amount of money. You know? And our destiny has been eternally changed. Folks, uh, you, you, know, you can have your Lamborghinis and you can... Corona cars or whatever, and your mansions and your caviar or whatever you want, fine, wonderful, good, but give me Jesus. If you've got Jesus, you're the richest person on the planet. 
he became poor that we might become rich. And so in light of all that he's done, in light of the, the outrageous generosity he, as he pours himself, poured himself out for us, and in the light of where we were and now where we are, how could we possibly be clinging to this stuff, be stingy to this stuff, uh, hoarding stuff? How could we possibly neglect those who are in need? When we were in such need, he poured out himself for us and, and made us so incredibly wealthy. Just that gratitude, it leads us to, to be a people who just want to pour it out to others. To not do that is just like a contradiction. It'd be like if someone, you're homeless, and, and, and someone came along and gave you $10 million, said, hey, this ought to get your feet on the ground. And then next week you meet somebody who needs, just needs a meal, and you won't lend $5 to them. That's, that, that's crazy. Well, we've been given much more than $10 million, and we were much worse off than being on the street and starving. And yet he poured himself out for us. How can we not also be poured out to others? All of our giving is motivated by gratitude for what he's done for us. And so we need to keep that on our mind. As we sing about it this morning, thank you, God, for saving me. It's worth dancing about. Man, that was some good stuff up here tonight. That night, this means war. That's getting your groove on. Sing about it, think about it, meditate on it, pray over it. Let that be the narrative you live in. Uh, don't just think about it once in a while. Meditate on the goodness of God. Every day, make it a point to be thinking about that. Never take it for granted. Not, you know, it can get to be old. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, no, don't let it become like that. Never cease to be awed by it, shocked by it, overwhelmed by it, moved by it. And let that gratitude well up in you, and you'll find yourself being a giving person. You'll, 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 you begin to take on his image. So all of our giving is to be motivated by uh, the indescribable gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ. But not only is Jesus the motive for our giving, but he's also the example of our giving, which leads to my second point. We're to follow, our giving is to follow the pattern of God's generosity. That's why Paul, when he was talking to Corinthians, he held up Jesus as, as, as the example. He, though he was rich, he became poor for your sake. And our giving is to, to, to be patterned on that. And you find this throughout the New Testament. A lot of folks don't realize it, but the New Testament is full of teachings that were to follow Jesus' example. Uh, Jesus didn't just die for us. He did that. But, but he also came to set the pattern that our life is to be patterned after, including our giving. So probably the most famous passage that deals with this is Philippians chapter 2. Incredible passage. Let's look at this. It says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Same mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard his equality with God as something to be exploited. The as should not be capitalized. I've noticed that every service, and I keep forgetting to say, let's go correct that, but there it is. Uh, he regarded equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And, he, 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 and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let that mind be in you. Let that mind be in you. He didn't just do it for us. He did it to give us an example of how, how we're to think. Think like this. Let this be your attitude if you're a follower of Jesus. Think like Jesus thought when he was rich and yet made himself poor. Same mind. Jesus had every conceivable advantage you could ever imagine as God, but he didn't cling to it. He didn't say, ah, oh, mine, lucky me. And he didn't exploit it to use it for his own advantage for his own comfort and convenience. He emptied himself. He dispossessed all of his advantages, submitted them all to the Father, humbled himself, and became obedient to do whatever the Father called him to do. And in his case, it was to go to the cross, to die the death on the cross. And we're to have that same mindset. Same mindset. Now, it doesn't mean that we're to do exactly what Jesus did, unless God calls us to do that. But we're not all called to 
give away everything we have to become literally poor uh, and, and to go find someone to die for. But we're to have the same mindset that led him to do that. That's what the Father led him to do. We're to have the same mindset, which means that we're to take whatever advantages we have and, and dispossess them. They're not ours. But rather submit them all to the Father and now just humble ourselves and follow the Father's leading, uh, using them however we're supposed to use them. So it's like this. Uh, I've got a ton, a ton of advantages. I'm not talking about my wealth in Christ. Just on an earthly level, I've got a ton of advantages. I was born in America, and I get to have a lot of things. I wasn't born in Haiti. I wasn't born in Somalia. I wasn't born in Calcutta. Um, people in Somalia and Calcutta and, and, and Haiti and places like that, uh, most of the folks there, they, they live on a minimum. They're, they, they consider them, themselves blessed if they have at least their basic needs met on a minimum level. So they live in minimum shelters. Uh, and they have minimum food, minimum quality food, and a minimum amount of food. They're happy if they just have enough to survive. And minimum clothing. They don't have wardrobes where they can change in and change out. They've got a minimum. Well, I wasn't born there. I was born here, and, and I have got way more than a minimum. Way more than a minimum. My house is way more than a minimum. Uh, I could get by on much less. Uh, but I have got a, it's not a castle, but it's a, it's, it's a nice home. Although last week, I really wish I would have had central air conditioning. But, you know, sometimes we're called to suffer. What can I say? <laughs> but but it's, it's a way, it's a surplus house. And I got surplus food, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have the minimum. I, I have eat, I, I'm not, I don't go hungry. And, and I can have good quality food. And I got all sorts of different kind of clothing. I can wear a different set of clothes every day of the week if I want. And don't have to repeat it. Because I just happen to be born here. I've got all these advantages. On top of that... Not only am I I'm born in America where I got all these blessings, but I'm white. Let's get real. That means something. Uh, that, that means I, I've got some privileges that black and brown people don't necessarily have. And a lot of white people don't realize that, but most of the black and brown people do. Um, and, and, and so I got that advantage. And on top of that, I'm male. And in some contexts, that still is an advantage. I might find myself working next to you, but I'm earning, we're doing the same job and I'm earning a third more. That still happens. So I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to feel guilty about this. I, I, I didn't do anything to earn that. Um, it, it, just, it just happened. It just happened. I, I, it, you, I guess you call it luck. There's no reason why I was born in America rather than Haiti or Somalia or Calcutta. No reason why I'm, I'm white. No reason why I'm male. It, it's just who I am. So I'm not going to feel guilty about that. I didn't deserve it, but I also, I, 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 there's nothing to blame for that. That'd be like blaming Jesus for being the Son of God. <laughs> Look at you, you get to be the Son of God. Now, it, it, it's, I, I've been through that gig feeling guilty about everything I had that someone else didn't have, and it just doesn't go anywhere, and it's not kingdom, so I'd encourage you to avoid it. On top of that, Paul tells us, we've seen this the last two weeks, that God gives us all these blessings for our enjoyment. God likes us to enjoy things. It's no different than we like to give presents to our kids and see them enjoy those things. Don't you enjoy seeing your kids enjoy things you give them? And that's reflected in the Father's heart. And the Father would love to be just showering everybody on the planet with gifts. Because his love, for, his love is towards everybody. But that's prevented by the fallen, cursed, and oppressed world that we live in. And the fallen race that we are, which causes massive and completely arbitrary injustice. Such that in some regions of the world, the blessings can fall. and other regions of the world, they don't. And I'm sorry, but I can't fix that. I can't fix that. 
probably won't be fixed until Jesus returns. But the question is, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I'm not going to feel guilty about it. But what do I do? I have these advantage. What should I do with them? Now, I could cling to them. Mine. Boy, did I get lucky. I could exploit them to my own advantage. I can invest these and get more. I, 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 I could just, you know, go along my happy way, say, sorry, people in Somalia and Calcutta and Haiti. Uh, you know, you didn't get what I got, but it's too bad. I'm the lucky one here. And I'm the male and I'm white and I'm going to enjoy myself right now. I got the good life. La, 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 la. Get myself in, put my head in a hole and, and just and shut out everything else. Not my problem. Not my problem. I'm going to enjoy my life. But see, I got to remember, Jesus didn't do that to me when I was in need. He didn't cling to his riches. He didn't exploit them to his own advantage. He put my welfare above his own welfare and became poor so that I could become rich. And then he says to me and he says to all disciples, go and do likewise. Have the same mind as Jesus Christ had when he didn't cling he rather dispossessed, submitted all to the Father. So as kingdom people, I, we need to be asking this kind of question. Uh, yeah, we have these advantages. Don't feel guilty about that. You have them. But don't possess them. Submit them. And we have to ask the question, God, what would you have me do with, with this? I have to live in the question with these advantages. What would God have me do? I've got more than the minimum, much more than the minimum. There are people who are, have only the minimum, and about a billion people have less than the minimum. What would God have me do to take, care, take these advantages and use them to help people who don't have those advantages? And what can I do as a white person who has got special privileges? What can I do to, to, to stand in the gap for black people and brown people who don't have those privileges but should have those privileges? And as a male, i got to ask, what can I do to advocate for females so that they would have the same privileges, privileges that I have? I have to humble myself, submit this to the Father. It's not mine, it's his. How would you use me, Father, to bless others, to be poured out to others to, the same way Jesus Christ was poured out to me? Amen. That is the kingdom mindset. We're called to follow Jesus' example and, and, and always be submitting this to the Father. And the truth is, folks, we have these blessings. By, by historical and, and, and global standards, most of us are very wealthy. And, 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 and so we're blessed. But the truth is that the blessing, the things we give away are a greater blessing than the things we keep. A greater blessing to us. Because as you, as you learn to be poured out towards others and live in this outrageous generosity, you'll find a, a depth of peace and a depth of joy and a depth of freedom you won't find any other way. Uh, we're made in the image of God and God is a generous God and so we are most ourselves when we're giving things away. And there's just a congruity and an alignment that happens with that. Try it. It's just, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it, a joy comes. It's a blessing. Way better blessing than any material thing that you could possibly enjoy. Not only that, but everything you pour out comes back on you. It, it, that's the promise of God. Not necessarily materially, but it will come back on you in blessings in other ways. A hundredfold, the Bible says. Good measures, shaken down, uh, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. It could come back on you in a million different ways. And on top of that, everything you, get, everything you pour out gets stored up in heaven. As I said last week, the one dollar you can take with you is the dollar you give away. Uh, everything else gets left behind. And so we, we, when we're giving away in God's love, God's love is the one thing that is eternal. And, and that, 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 that will come back on us as we're storing up treasures in heaven. So what we give is a far more blessed thing than, 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 than what we keep. Um, it is such a privilege to be able to give away like that, isn't it? 
I mean, that's, that, that, that actually is the main reason, according to Scripture, for being blessed. It's so that you can bless others. That's God's program. Be blessed so you can bless others, then more blessings come unto you so you can bless more, and more blessings come back on you so you can bless even more. And that's, that's the momentum that God wants to create in our life. Amen? Which leads to the third principle. And this is an important one. Without, our giving is to be without any external compulsion. It's to be absolutely free. So as I'm talking up here, I bet there's a few people who are concrete people. You like things, you like definitives. You like black and white. You like clear-cut stuff. And up to this point, you're thinking, seek God's will about what I'm supposed to give away. Well, that just seems too nebulous. How do I know that God's telling me this? Maybe I'm talking to myself. You know, I, I need something concrete. Give me the rule. Give me the percentage. What percentage am I supposed to give away? Make it easy for me. I, I, I get concrete thinkers. Uh, I have trouble relating to them sometimes because I'm not, but, uh, but God bless you. So I bet there are other people in this auditorium or pod listeners who, as soon as I ask that question, what percentage they're, they're thinking to themselves, duh, 10%. The tithe. It's right there in the Bible. Malachi 3, a couple other places. Malachi 3 says, uh, bring your tithe, your 10% of all you earn into the storehouse. And God's blessings will come upon you and will overflow in abundance. But if you don't bring your tithe, the full 10%, then you're robbing, yeah, then you're robbing God. That's what it says. You're, you want to rob God? God might get a little ticked off at being robbed. In fact, he does get ticked off. He tells Malachi 3, you tick me off when you don't bring the tithe. And now, instead of blessings, you're going to have the curses of God be falling upon you. Do you want those curses? Well, then, if you don't want the curses, then don't rob God. Tithe. Here. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this auditorium or uh, in the world who's heard a couple dozen sermons along those lines. Amen? Yeah, you know what it's about. The tithe. Now, here, here's the thing. And, and God bless you. If, if, God, if you want to give 10%, that's fine. But um, here's why I think this is misguided. Uh, you know, the, the, the tithe was part of the Old Testament taxation. They were in a national covenant. They had a national law. And, and they actually had three different uh, taxes that they had to pay. One was to the temple. And so the tithe was a temple tax. And it went to maintaining the temple. And it went, went to supporting the Levit- Levitical priesthood. That was the old covenant. We're not in the old covenant. All right? We're not in that covenant any longer. Um, we're not in a part of a nationalcy program. Uh, and and, and, and there is, the temple hasn't existed for 2,000 years. The Le- Levitical priesthood hasn't existed for 2,000 years. So why on earth would we be paying a temple tax? It just doesn't make sense. Now, some people would say, well, look at the tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus, no less, mentions the tithe. He commends the Pharisees in Matthew 23 for tithing. He says you should be paying attention to the weightier matters of the law, but, but in tithing you do well. And so does that make it a New Testament doctrine? I think it's a rather weak argument. Um, for this reason, of course, Jesus would tell the Pharisees, to tithe because the Pharisees are Jewish and the Pharisees are under the old covenant, right? The new covenant hasn't been inaugurated yet. And, and they still have a temple and they have a Levitical priesthood to support. And so the, the law of taxation still applies. So of course Jesus would say, yeah, you're good to abide by that law. But again, folks, whether you're Jewish or Gentile doesn't matter any longer because you're in Christ and it's not about a nation any longer and we don't have a temple and there's no Levitical priesthood and we're under the new, new covenant, not the old. So why would you think this 10% thing still applies today? I know why some preachers would like it to apply today. It, I want that guaranteed 10% coming here right now. Right? Sure, sure, that'd be nice. 
But uh, I, I just don't think it's a, a New Testament doctrine. Now, some people would say, well, look, at uh, Abraham and Jacob, they tithed even before the law came. And so there seems like there's a pattern there. And, and, and so maybe it's not a law, because they weren't trying to obey a law when they tithe, Abraham and, and, and Jacob. But it's a good benchmark to check how you're doing. And, and there might be some wisdom in that. I mean, just consider it. Um, you know, I, I would think that if a person is, has, has, has uh, dispossessed all that they own or used to own, they give it to God, if they're totally submitted to God and they're seeking God's will about how God would have them use it, I would think that if they're listening to God under normal circumstances, 10% would be a, a minimum kind of benchmark. I think they'd find themselves giving 10% of it away. But, but if, if it's a benchmark, it's not a law. That's the point. It's not a law. In fact, Everything the New Testament says, the New Testament never mentions the tithe whenever it talks about giving, uh, when it's talking to people under the New Covenant. And, and in fact, everything the New Testament does say about giving goes against the idea that there's a, per, a percentage point that applies to everyone as a law. It goes directly against it. So I'll, I'll just show you a few examples from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Here's what he says. Chapter 8. What the board says. Here we go. We're, we're to give with overflowing joy. Now, how do you give an overflowing joy if you're giving because you have to, there's a law that says you have to give. It doesn't work. We're to give as much as you're able and even beyond your ability. Well, what does your ability have to do with it if there's an external law that tells you exactly what you're supposed to be giving? It's not giving according to your ability. It's giving according to the law. And then consider it a, we're, we're considered a privilege to share what we have. But if you're doing it as an obligation because there's a law and a threat behind it, it's not a privilege. It's just you're being obedient. And we're to excel Parasuo, in the grace of giving, that term parasuo means to actually pick up speed or to be increasing in uh, or to leave behind a previous marker. So this is something we're supposed to be growing in, improving in. As we grow in all other areas in Christ, we're supposed to be growing in this area. But if there's a 10% ceiling on it, well, then, then, then there's no growth that's necessary or, or even possible. We're to give sacrificially, reflecting the generosity of Jesus toward us. Jesus didn't, didn't, Jesus didn't give us 10%, sorry. Uh, we're to give according to your de desire. What's on your heart, Paul's saying? Seek God and, and, and whatever he puts on your heart to give, give. But your desire has nothing to do with it if there's an external law that says that you have to do it. You're to give generously, not grudgingly. Well, that just doesn't fit with a 10% rule. And finally, we're to give what we have decided in our hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I rest my case. So let's be cheerful. It's supposed to be free. Everything, everything in the New Testament is, and this is one of the fundamental differences between the, the, the two covenants. Everything in the New Covenant is, presupposes our freedom. Uh, and, and, and God wants it to be done out of love and done out of gratitude, done cheerfully, done because you want to do it, not because there's some threat that, that will happen to you if you don't do it. And this applies, by the way, not just to a percentage point, to the tithe. Uh, it applies to any sort of external compulsion, like manipulation, shame, guilt, any kind of threat. Some of you have been in churches where I bet that's been used uh, to get you to give a little more. In fact, it's a sad truth, but Christianity, unfortunately, or I'll just leave it to the church. The church, unfortunately, has always been pretty good at this. How to turn up the heat to just wring a few more dollars out of people. I talked a couple of weeks ago about how they, in the Middle Ages, sold indulgences. 
Uh, they convinced people that they're going to go to purgatory or their loved ones are now in purgatory. And purgatory was just as bad as hell. It's just that it only lasted for 10 or 20 or 40,000 years rather than eternity. And, and, but the church would indulge you by wiping time off in purgatory for a certain sum of money. For a mere $10,000, you can get your Aunt Gerda out of purgatory for 10,000 years. Some of you would say, leave her there. I didn't like her anyways. <laughs> No, it was a, a great money-making scheme. Hey, listen, as money-making schemes go, that one was brilliant. It built a lot of the churches over there in Europe. You know, those cathedrals, yeah, built by indulgences. But, but see, that's, that's external compulsion. You're not giving freely and joyfully if you're giving to save on Goethe out of purgatory for 10,000 years. Today, not many churches sell indulgences anymore, but we sell a lot of other stuff. And we do a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, when I was first a Christian in this radical Pentecostal church, we had uh, every summer uh, revival week. You ever been to revival week? Man, we got revived. <laughs> we were a holy roller, people jumping, screaming, twirling bunch of people. And uh, had a lot of fun. But during this revival week, there'd always be one night and sometimes two where they would raise funds to pay for the whole thing. And things just got weird. Um, you know, what would happen is uh, somebody, one of the leaders, one of the men of God, would get a word. They'd seek God's will. And they'd come to the podium and, and they would say, well, before the service, God told me that there are five people here who are going to give $10,000 tonight. And there's 10 people who are going to give $5,000 tonight. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's 100 people that are going to give $1,000 tonight. So let's start with the 10,000. Who will be first? Who will be first? Who will be first? Let's pray here, folks, that these, that, that these five people will hear God and will listen and obey God. You know who you are if you're one of these people. God right now is talking to you, saying you should do this. Why are you resisting God? Do you know what happens when you resist God? Do you want to become an enemy of God by resisting this? And, and if that didn't work, well, I turn up a heat a little bit more. You know, this camp here, so many people have come to know Jesus Christ through this camp. Hallelujah. And, 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 and how, how do you think it runs? It runs on money. And it's our responsibility to be supporting this. Why, just last year, my aunt, niece, my niece, my aunt or niece, I don't remember, but one of them got saved here, filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And it wouldn't happen if this camp wasn't here. And if that camp wasn't here, she'd probably go to hell. Do you want her to go to hell? Uh, how much is her, how much is my aunt's soul worth to you? <laughs> Hecklers. <laughs> no, it's, we didn't get to heckle, man. <laughs> you probably got a car that's worth $20,000. I'm just asking for half of that. Isn't my, my, my aunt's soul worth half your car? Do you want the wrath of God coming upon you here tonight? God's talking to you. Do not resist. And it goes on and on and on. I think sometimes people would raise their hand and give $10,000 just to shut the guy up. Shut up. It was excruciating. It could go on for an hour. They wouldn't stop till they got it. Yeah, yeah. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Folks, there is no place for that kind of stuff in the kingdom of God. Amen? In the church. None. It's poppycock. Because that kind of manipulation, that doesn't result in joyful giving, cheerful giving, giving freely, giving what you desire, God, what God's put in your heart. No, it, it, it results in people grudgingly saying, okay, I'll give. It's just, it's antichrist. It's completely, don't ever let some religious authority manipulate you into giving money. Whether it's in a card or on television or a church, don't do it. it it's, 
The only kind of giving that God enjoys and proves of is, is cheerful giving, voluntary giving, giving because it's on your heart, giving because you want to do it. If it's done it for any other reason, you just wasted your money. And one of the things we couldn't notice while we were being raked over the coals to give $10,000 or whatever is the Cadillacs that these guys are driving when I'm driving my little Corona. <laughs> and by the way, last week everybody laughed at me because I, I, I called the car Corona. It's, it, it, I, there was a Corona car. Someone came up afterwards and said Corona was a car. They stopped making it in 2003, but there was a Corona car. So ha! On you! <laughs> Now, if I'm honest, I'll admit that I didn't know that. <laughs> so you're right to laugh at me, but still, there's that. Uh, Camp Galilee, man, we, we, we gave a lot of money to that. Let me say one other thing here, and that is this. Um, if, if we really have the mindset of Christ and are, are, have, have emptied ourselves, we're not clinging to this stuff, we're not, we're not exploiting it for our own advantage, we've submitted to the Father and are genuinely seeking the Father's will, um, one thing I am sure of, and that is this, we won't be giving the way Americans usually give, which is to say we won't be giving God our leftovers. This is the typical American thing. You get your paycheck, you pay your bills, you have your fun, Sunday morning you check your wallet see what's left over. Um, God isn't a leftover God, right? We're, we're, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't give us his leftovers. <laughs> and he doesn't want our leftovers. Jesus made, made us his number one priority. And his giving reflected that. So also, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. Make him our number one priority. And our giving has to reflect that. So whatever God calls you to give, whether it's to the church or whether it's to, to, to people who are in need in your neighborhood or wherever, where, wherever that is, lock that in. Paul, at one point in these chapters, says that prepare your gift ahead of time. Uh, uh, seek God and then give what you desire, but make that a commitment ahead of time. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't make it an ad hoc thing, like, oh, what's left over kind of thing. No, make it part of your budget. And yes, folks, we all need a budget because <laughs> uh, it's not our money. It's his money. <laughs> we, got, we got to know where it's going. And, and, and so make it part of your budget. And I encourage you, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, make that the first thing you pay. That one's, that, that, that's got to be paid first. Because we're to give God our first. The, the ancient Israelites gave God the, the, the first fruits. The first fruit that got ripened, they dedicated to God. Uh, and in doing that, they were trusting that God would follow through on the rest of the harvest. Otherwise, they're going to go hungry. So it was an act of trust and an act of consecration. First fruits. Give God your first fruits. Not just in money, but in your life, in your time, and everything else. Is he not deserving of that? Out of the gratitude for what he's done for us, how can we do anything less? So, so we at Woodlands Church, our, our, our policy is, number one, we just make the needs known. And trust that people will, will listen to God. Uh, anything more than that, I think, is manipulation. Just here's the needs. Uh, here's what it will accomplish. Please pray about that. And we encourage people, if this is your church body, to seek God's will. Talk to your spouse, your f f friends and family, however you want to discern this. But when you have discerned it, lock it in. And we encourage people to, to get on a regular giving schedule where it's taken out uh, of, of the bank uh, at a certain time of the month. So you don't have to keep on re remaking that decision. You make the decision and then lock it in. But I wouldn't lock it in forever because we're supposed to be excelling in this. 
picking up speed, getting better at this. As we grow in Christ, our generosity will grow. Our hearts change. And, and so God might see that this year, 5% was fine, but, uh, or last year 5% was fine, but this year maybe he wants to up it to 8, maybe 10. Or maybe you were doing 10 and God's saying, hey, you know what, I think you're ready for, for, for 20%. Be seeking God's will about that and growing in that. And actually, that's important for us to keep on growing. Our, our, our giving not only reflects the generosity of our heart, but as you have found out, many of us have found out, the more you give, the, it expands your heart. And so if you put a ceiling on it, here's another reason why the 10% thing is just a bad idea. If you put a ceiling on it, um, you could be stunting your own growth. Don't stunt your own growth. Be excelling in this, uh, growing in this, and always seeking God's will. Is, is, don't coast on last year's instructions. Your relationship with God needs to be in the moment. It needs to be a now relationship because God's the God of the present. Amen? Amen. Now the past future. Uh, one, uh, one final question is, is this. Um, Sometimes people ask me the question, well, what percentage should I be giving to the church versus what percentage should I give to you know, people that I know who are in need or to charities or things of that sort? And my brilliant answer is I don't have a clue. Uh, I know that some places do that, but, but how would I know that? I'm not your God. You have, you have to go to God for that. Um, you want to give to things that are, have kingdom significance and things that benefit people uh, who are in need. Uh, and, and hopefully, if, you think, if, if this is your church body, you think this is kingdom, has kingdom significance and that we're helping people in need. And if you don't know how we're helping people in need and how we're being kingdom significant, come up afterwards and I'll be glad to explain to you because <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff happening. So I think some of your, your, your giving would be here. But, uh, uh, but, but you, you've got to... I'd rather pastor adults than children and, and adults make decisions on their own. So go to God and, and let him kind of lead you and guide you in that process. But see, whether it's to the church or whether you're giving to charity or to some people that you know or however it goes out, you're manifesting the love of God to people, which means you're expanding the kingdom and everything that you're investing will come back on you now and in eternity. And so be learning the, the, the secret of becoming an outrageous giver. So out of gratitude, lock this in. Out of gratitude. Let, let, let that gratitude be welling up in your heart at all times. Think about the goodness of God all the time. Make that on your brain. Make that one of the things you obsess on. Think about what he's done for you. Think of how faithful he's been. Don't just make that a Sunday morning kind of a thing. Let that be the narrative that you live in. Meditate on that. Visualize it. Imagine it. Enjoy that. And, and, and see, that, that's how your heart will stay uh, grateful. You won't be taking it for granted, ho-hum sort of stuff. No, you want this always to be fresh, always to see the beauty of this, the awesomeness of it. And that's what changes us. It makes us grateful. And then you'll find that generosity just comes, it just starts to ooze out of you. And then let's always make sure that we're submitting everything we have, all of our advantages. We let go of it, and we submit to the Father. We humble ourselves and say, Father, lead me and guide me into what I'm supposed to enjoy. And don't feel guilty that he lets you enjoy that. That's fine. But then also what you're supposed to be giving away. Always hearing it fresh because you want to be excelling in this. Amen. Would you stand? Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Yeah. He's so good. I, I just, all service, I've just felt his electricity kind of. It's like, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's the coolest thing to be in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please come up here and pray with these folks. They would love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and are not a surrendered follower of Jesus, I would consider it if I were you. <laughs> Think about it. And if you're interested in finding out more about that, come up here and talk to these people. And they'd love to share with you what that's about. So as we leave here, can we do it as a people who have Jesus on our mind? We're that indescribable gift on our mind. 
so that gratitude rolls up in our heart. And can we do it as a people who own nothing and have got nothing to lose? If you agree with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. <laughs>